Good morning. Hope you are doing well. It's an opportunity to be in this church for the second time, I think. And I really appreciate God for giving me the opportunity. I will, be, I will speak very slowly so that you understand my accent. If you are not getting me, I think I will try to be as slow as possible. Anytime a Canadian or an American go to Nigeria, we tell them to speak very slowly so that we understand what they are saying. And they also tell me to speak slowly so that you understand what I'm saying. So I'm going to be as slow as possible. Thank God for the opportunity of praying for those who are persecuted, praying for those who are in dear need, praying for those who are suffering in the hand of their persecutors all over the world. I thank God for this opportunity. For the past 35 years, we've been doing ministry, reaching out to those that have not had the gospel and going among the Muslims in Nigeria. Nigeria is a population of 200 million people, and out of that 200 million people, more than 120 million are Muslims. And the northern part is like a country of its own with Sharia law, and that is where we are reaching them over the years with a lot of persecution and destruction that has happened through the Boko Haram that you have had. How many of you have heard about Boko Haram? Okay. And uh, I happened to work in the midst of Boko Haram because we started the work in the Northeast in 1983, and Boko Haram came out in the Northeast, and a lot and a lot of things have been destroyed. A lot of people displaced. Our mission field in some cities, in some, in some villages have become... Ghost cities, villages. Nobody lives in those villages. And so we want to reach them. We go to the camps. We go to the internally displaced camps and then do a lot of services, humanitarian work, providing clothing, providing several needs, and there's medical and then spiritual and then Bibles, sometimes reaching out to those Muslims that also have been displaced. Actually, Boko Haram started in Nigeria like a persecution against the Christians in the Northeast. And then the, the idea was to get all the Christians out of the Northeast or killed if they refused. And so all the churches were burned, and then the people, the Christians, those who escaped, escaped. Those who were killed, killed. But eventually, they were left with no Christians. And so they were left with the nominal, with the liberal Muslims who don't like to see those killings, who don't like those, those destructions. And so they turn against the liberal Muslims who were in the majority, and then all of them were also displaced. So if you go to the camps, you will see either displaced Christians or displaced Muslims. And so we target the displaced Muslims in the camps, we provide services for them, and then we reach out to them by giving food and other things that God has provided through us. And then at the end of the day, we provide Bibles and then share the gospel with them. And we've gotten a lot of convert among them. And I will tell you more story very quickly since I don't have time. Shortly before I left for Canada, just three days before I left for Canada, there was the crisis that 53 People died in one area. It was the same persecution to kill Christians, 
and saw more than 53 people died right in one day. And we had 12 missionaries in that area. And all the villages, most of them were set on fire in the northern part. And so we wanted to go and rescue the missionaries. But there was 24 hours coffee, no going in or going out. Only the military and the police you will see on the road or anywhere. And so we need to smuggle ourselves in the bush, go to the villages where our missionaries are to rescue them. Otherwise, they will be killed. But when we went there, our missionaries, 12 of them in, in four or five villages, and they would, the community that have accepted Jesus Christ, more than, two, more than 52 or thereabouts of those who believe us. And our missionaries said, if we go alone, if we leave these villages because of this persecution, it means we will not come back. Because if we come back, they will ask us, where is your love? So the best thing is to stay in the villages, and if it is dead, then we die with them. That is the only way to show them the love of Christ. So Christians are facing a lot and a lot of persecution in many countries, but Nigeria, I know, is so severe uh, for the past few years, and God has helped us. Most of what we had has been born to, and so we needed to move our office from the midst of Boko Haram to another city. So right now we move our office and we are, we are trying to move our school of mission where we train missionaries also in the midst of those areas then to places that are safer. Now, I just to show you this clip, unfortunately I don't have the, she will be guiding me there. We started in 1983 and that is the map of Nigeria, of course, as you can see, with 36 states and with more than 200 million people. And we started like two missionaries in the midst of just northeast down there, you see two missionaries in 1983. And right now we have 172 missionaries reaching out to the Muslim in the northern part of Nigeria, in Chad, and then in Niger. And uh, just continue. Go on. That is still the map of Nigeria. The map of Nigeria is like three countries in one. And this is how it looks like. You can see the map there. All the people we are reaching, you can see the arrow pointing to the people we are reaching. But the green there is 100% Muslims. 100% Muslim in the green zone, you see in the northern part. And then the, yellow, the brown part is like 60% Muslims. 60% Muslim in the middle, 100% Muslim in the north, and then that is the Christian south, which is yellow. But most of the people in the south are even afraid to go to the north. Sometimes even when they are posted, even by they are working with government and posted to the north, they won't go. Many people would prefer to leave their job than to go to the city in the north because there is so much persecution against the Christian church in those areas. But those are the places we have been targeting over the years, ensuring that we reach out to these people. And so you can imagine the kind of persecution you face. So we have what we call convert care center, where when a person is converted in those areas, we take them to the convert care center. That is how our coverage in Nigeria, as you can see, covered 24 of the 36 states and the federal capital. 
workforce of 172 missionaries, planting indigenous work in five African countries, the third biggest non-denominational sending agency in Nigeria. That is how we have been doing. So you can see those spots as our the spot that we have our missionary stations and then opening field in some of the unreached people groups in those areas. And uh, in Africa, too, we have affected so many other countries. Just like you can see in Niger, in Chad. We have missionary in Niger and we have missionary in Chad. But the other country you see there, there are people where we have trained missionaries and sent them to those places to reach their own people. We have trained people from, from Senegal. We have trained them from the Togo. We've trained them from Cameroon. We've trained them from Congo. We've trained them from South Sudan. And then we send them to their countries and monitor them to ensure that they reach their people. And that is what we are doing to make sure that we reach Africa with the gospel. And uh, you see the, the activities that we have been doing since inception. And uh, what do we do with 34 people group that we are reaching? And those are their names of those who have benefited from our work. And because we reach Muslims, you don't go to the Muslim and say, accept Jesus Christ. You don't go to them and say, Jesus is Lord. You don't go to them and say, Jesus is the Son of God. So you go in a different way. And how do you go? You don't even go as a missionary. You go as a humanitarian. You go to do something in their community. You ask to do so. We, we go there, and then we, our, our name is Go International, so it looks like an NGO. And then we go there, and then we start something. Maybe we do a borehole. To have a bowl in a community is very expensive because one of the dear needs of the community is water. And so sometimes we go to the village head and to the community leaders and then offer to do a borehole. And then they will be so excited. And so you mean, how do you, how do you get the money? I will say, God has provided. And then we do a borehole for them. And then we are accepted. Then after some time we say, oh, what of your children? They don't have school. We want to train them so that they will know how to read and write. Then they bring the children to us. And then we start teaching the children, and sometimes the textbook will be the Bible. And then we start training them in that aspect, and then that's how we get inwards. And before they know that we are Christian, we have become friends. And so it becomes difficult sometimes for them to even say, get out of our village. Or sometimes we have been accepted, and then sometimes we have gotten converts. And so what happens is that when we get converts, we smuggle them out of the place and then we take them to our convert care. They stay there and then we, they, we, we disciple them properly there. And then when they get to know that many people are becoming Christian, sometimes it's too late, at least many people have been warned. Sometimes even the chief who are Muslim have accepted us, so it becomes difficult for them to send us away. But even in the midst of it, we are very careful to reach out to them. So that's what we do. Sometimes we have primary health care. And then we do what we call, we train elderly women in villages. Because so many people died of childbirth. So many young women died when they want to give birth to children. And so we train what we call traditional birth attendants. And then we, go, we get all elder women and train them how to help younger women give birth. And then we get some kids and put some little first aid in them. And then these elderly women know how to help this. And then they help to deliver children at least in villages. And that is awesome. It makes them to accept us. Then we, we do what we call village health workers. We train the people how to give some more med- you know, first aid medicine to community people when they are sick. 
And then it becomes awesome. And then we become accepted. By the time they want to send us, they ask questions. If we send them away, who would do this for us? So we become friends. And then before we know it, many people have been warned. But you see, you can't be a friend to a Muslim for, I mean, permanent. It has never been permanent. Once they know that you are preaching the gospel and that you are bringing people out of Islam, then you become an enemy. We are aware of that. So once we have this access, we do this work very fast to make sure that we affect the community. In some places, some, some of them will tell us, some smaller villages, we get the whole people become Christians. Sometimes they want to turn the mosque even to a church. Then we tell them, no, just leave it there, and then we start something for them. And then that is how God has helped us, even in the midst of persecution. But for the past three years, most of our work in the northeast is not in villages anymore, because the villages are no longer there. Boko Haram have killed a lot of people, destroyed villages, and even the villages that are left, people are afraid to stay in those villages. And so what they do is we just get to the camp, that is the internal displaced camp, and then we do the evangelism. So we have our offices in the camp, and then the military in the camp or the policemen, they know us. They know we, we, we supply some good for the community, for the people in the camp. And then we preach the gospel. Now, just about three months ago, we went to a camp. And then about <clears throat> more than 10,000 people are in that camp. So many of them. But 100% of them were all Muslims. And we wanted to give these materials. And we went with a lot of things. Rice, back of rice, back of foodstuff, back clothing, and then medical, and then Bibles. And as we arrived at the camp, we explained ourselves, and then they recorded everything we brought. And the soldier said, you will not give the Bible. And we said, why? He said, because these are 100% Muslims. And if you give the Bibles, it will become a problem. So we said, no problem. So we kept the Bible in the car. And we started distributing food stuff, clothing, a sanity wares for women and children, and then medical, we gave them medical attention. And then when we were about to go, one Muslim young man came and said, are you Christians? And I said, yes, we are. Then he said, do you have a Bible? And I said, do you want one? He said, we have been looking for Bible. We are tired of this Islam. Many of us see how we are killed. See how we lost our villages. We lost our wife. We lost our children. We lost our relations. We lost everything. Now we are begging in the camp. And we want to, want to try your religion. We want to be Christian. Give me the Bible. So I ran toward the car and, and took five Bibles. And I told the soldiers, I can't restrain myself anymore. They asked for it. And I gave this young man the Bible. Everybody in the camp came and said, give me a Bible. These are Muslims. So we want to know about Christ, Christian. We want to know about what to believe. We are tired of it. Hundreds of them, they were pushing themselves. Some people were falling down. And we couldn't restrain ourselves. And we were bringing this Bible. And then the soldier needed to stop. Otherwise... They will be stamped. They will, they will kill themselves because everybody wanted the Bible. Everybody wanted the Bible. And so we handed over the Bible to the soldiers. 
and we asked them to assure us they will give it out to them. And then they told us some of them were Christians, so they said they would give them. And then they collected the Bible and distributed to them. And we kept our missionary there so that he would be monitoring the distribution. That is how, how hungry the people are. That is how thirsty the people are. And that is how needful they needed the gospel. They want to hear. And so that is what we do all the, our life. And we, we, as we are praying for us, as I had the pastor who are praying for those who are persecuted, and I was happy. Happy that at least people are praying for those who are persecuted. One of the most terrible Islam that we had is found in northern part of Nigeria. Because Nigeria has 36 states, and then the 12 states in the north, they are all Sharia, Sharia law. And then because of Sharia law, so many atrocities are committed, human rights, abuse, so many things. People could be amputated anyhow because they steal just something. And so many things happen in those areas. And so we need your prayer just like you have been praying for us. And then uh, the result of this, some of the things we've been doing for the past years, and it's also our prayer that as I share with your church, you'll be part of it in one way or the other to see what we can do to enable us because the work is to help those who, who have our needs. Many of you are in, in North America here. Sometimes this thing looks like it's not true. I came to, I was in Brampton and uh, uh, I think it was this uh, Indians, uh, Hindus day, they were celebrating and they were doing all this firework in the night. And then in the middle of the night, I was hearing the firework in the night. And I almost ran out because I thought I was in Nigeria. <laughs> because if it was in Nigeria, you hear something like that, it may likely be a gunshot. Or somebody, some people have entered somebody's house trying to ravage the house or to kill the person. So I stood up and I said, what is happening? Am I not in Canada again? And then I remember I was in Canada. And I said, thank God I'm safe here. So I looked through and then I saw it was just firework. I'm safe here. So many of you are safe here. So when we tell you the story, it's difficult to believe because it doesn't look possible. It doesn't look real. It doesn't look true that somebody will carry a knife and cut somebody's neck and the person is dead. It doesn't look real to many of you. And nobody arrests anybody. Everybody just going about doing all these things. So when you hear it, you look the other telling the truth. But if you are getting, you are there, you will know it's the truth. All of this happens every day, every moment. Just four months ago, we lost a missionary. This young man who came out to go to a village, and then he wouldn't come back again. We've been looking for him all these days. We've gone to the station, we've gone to, to, to hospital to check the mortuary, maybe he was dead. We couldn't even know his whereabouts anymore. And he just died and left his wife there. The wife just gave birth last month. But the husband just disappeared. But we knew that they might have killed him. Are you hearing my accent? Are you hearing me? (laughs) Good. Okay, so you see, these are some of the work we do there. That work, because you see our medical missionaries, they are helping the communities. You see us also in different places, in Chad, in the, the northern part of Nigeria. That is what opened the door for us. And that's what makes us to do, to reach out to the people in different parts. 
And then you see how there is water. People are also in need of water. It takes sometimes $2,500 to provide a borehole for the community. Very expensive. And with, the, with, that, with that, you can see borehole there in different communities. And then we provide latrines for them. Because sometimes people enter the bush to do anything. So we provide community latrines to repair the borehole. We have also pit latrine for the communities just to help them to control their sanitary and then to hygiene so that at least people will live longer. And that's, those are some of the things we have been doing over the years. And then uh, you can see the fact sheet also about water and hygiene in how people daily need to have some of these things. And sometimes any of you can provide that for us so that we can keep helping out this community and then bring a lot of people to Christ. And uh, still you can see that some of the work we are doing. And uh, that is the school. That school was started in 1988 in one of the villages, and now it has graduated so many children. That is the only school we have in the community, and it's free. They don't pay fees. If you tell them to pay fees, their parents will not even send them to school. And so we do all these things to help them in that place. And they're not just that. Go on. You see that those are how the schools and adult education, we also help the adults, but those are the school classes, secondary school and primary school, that God provides for us through people like you to ensure that we help them. Sometimes they are Muslims. We don't tell them don't to come. And then they come there and some of the children grow up to be Christians. The one that is the principal of the secondary school we have now as a Muslim, he finished from there, but he came to know Jesus Christ through the faith that I've been teaching him in those places. And then that is the secondary school we also have in one of the community. Go on. And then you can see the atrocities that are committed. These are churches that are born by Boko Haram. Well, the church by the left, in one of the churches we build in the community, the one by the left there, and uh, it was burned down. And then with three people died inside that, that fire. And then they destroyed the whole village. The whole village. And then we, right now we have all of them in the camp. As you see, the vehicle we have there distributing food, carrying to the camp, taking some food stuff, clothing, medical, and so on and so forth. And then you can see that these are some of the places that are very dangerous to go in Nigeria now. You can see fire, the growing destruction of the African giant, with a very huge population of people in Nigeria, but so many people, more than 2 million, are displaced in the northeast. And that is why we started, just Boko Haram, just by two, three people. But now it has become a national issue, an international issue, killing people in Nigeria, in Cameroon, and then in the Republic of Niger. And so you can see a church that is set ablaze by the Boko Haram. They don't care. They kill, they, when they put fire on the church, they, they surround the church. So that nobody escapes. If you escape, they kill you. And as I'm talking to you, more than 200 girls are still in the bush. Nobody knew their whereabouts. You've had sometimes you have heard about them. You had the carry they come go to a school, carry all the girls, go and marry them to themselves, do whatever they want, pregnant these girls, leave them there in those atrocities in communities, in villages. 
military have looked for the children. They have done a lot of things, but few of them have been recovered. But up to now, still have so many girls that are still missing. That is one of the camp where we are distributing food. These are children. All the children you see, they are orphans. They don't have parents anymore. Their parents are either missing or killed. So you need to take care of them. And then you have all of them there with women, with their children. Some of them are orphaned already. Even though they give birth in the camp, no homes, no house, nothing, no medical facility. And these are some of the work that we do in the Northeast. And uh, that is the office where we operate to do this. And uh, over 15 million people have been affected by insurgency. More than 2 million are in the IDP camps. Over 3,000 of these deaths happened within 18 months, and specifically in the north-central states. Insurgency in Nigeria is nowhere near being defeated. It only changes target and tactics. What they are demanding for is to turn Nigeria into an Islamic state. So that is what has, is happening now. And then uh, that is part of the work we have been doing and, uh, with missionary, with, we send missionary secretly to some of this country. Now, the, the, the work that God has helped us to arrive at so far is we, we appreciate it because the, for the past 17 years, I mean for the past uh, 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 35 years, we've been doing the work. Few years ago, when I came to Canada, God introduced us to the Intercede, and since then they have been helping to share this need among the churches in Canada. My, 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 the way I came to know Jesus Christ is so is something that I can't imagine myself, because I grew in a village where there were no Christians. My parents were not Christians. There was no church. We have never heard about Jesus Christ at any time in my village. At that time, I was a very small child in second in primary school, and that was in 1972. And God just did a miracle to, to introduce himself without anybody. All of us were small children, 12, 13, 14 years. We were sitting in our class like this, and we all started crying in our class. Everybody was crying. Then everybody cried and cried and cried, and then the teachers ran into the class. They started crying also. Everybody was crying, including the teachers. The headmaster came, and then they were all crying. And then we cried for like 20, 30 minutes. Then one small boy, his father was not a Christian, mother, parents were not Christian, no church in our village, so nobody had known Jesus Christ. And this boy just stood up. And then there was silence. The Holy Spirit was controlling everybody. And this boy opened his mouth and said, Accept Jesus Christ or you go to hell. That was the first time we heard about Jesus. We didn't know who told him. And this boy preached the gospel. And we all gave our life to Christ that day. We all cried. And then we, we prayed for us. And we asked ourselves, how did he know this? Who told him this? And how did he come to even do it? And we, the headmaster, the teachers, we, they were all, it was a great revival. But we didn't know it was a revival. Because we have not been Christian before. And then the boy told the teachers, take me to the next school. And they took this boy to the next school. 
and we were all running after this boy. He was on the, the headmaster carrying him on a bicycle, and as they were going on a bicycle, we were all running after this boy. For eight, for about eight kilometers, nine kilometers thereabout, we arrived the next school. Do you know? As soon as we arrived the next school, something happened. Just entering the premises of the school, the whole school, they didn't know we were coming, but every person in the school started crying. And as they were crying, they were coming out. As they were crying, they were coming out of their classes. Many of them, and they stood there crying. And this boy preached the gospel to them. That was how revival came to, to us. And that was how we became Christians. So that was since 1972. We small children. But because our parents were not Christian and they didn't understand, they were beating us. They were beating us because every weekend we go for evangelism. We didn't even know how to preach. But we tell people Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. Every day, every moment. And so when I went to secondary school and I finished secondary school, then went to college and finished, I knew that life is no longer relevant. What is important is to think of those who have never had the gospel. Because in my village, nobody preached to us. God ought to raise his own people without a pastor, without an evangelist, without anybody. And then he introduced himself to us and we became Christians. And so it became our duty those of us that accepted Jesus through that way, to go into the interior and introduce Jesus Christ also to them. And that is why even when I came to the Northeast, because I was not born from there, when I came to the Northeast and I saw the people, and I saw the, we heard about these naked people, they told us they were cannibals. And, we, and when we went there, they were running away because they thought we were cannibals. So as they were running this direction, we were also afraid. Eventually we met, and God helped us. And that is the work that is going on today. And by the grace of God, my prayer is that you pray for us. We are doing it as God will lead us. So we ask you to pray for us. Whatever God will lead you to pray for us, just pray for us. Whatever God will lead you to support whatever aspect we are doing, reaching out to these people in different parts of the country, and then in the north, and then to ensure that we assist those who are downtrodden, who assist those who have been persecuted, who have been who have lost everything, and to have them. Right in my house, I have three children that I brought from nowhere because they just needed to carry them, and now they are growing in my house there because they were also they lost their parents. They don't know their where the parents. They, nobody knew their whereabouts, and so they sometimes the government official. Tell us, say, look, we know you. You've been doing the work. Take over the children and give it to anybody that wants. We don't have how, we don't know how to do with the children. So we go to churches and tell people, come and adopt children, come and adopt children, and then they go to the government official and then they give them children to adopt. Pray for this country and pray that God will give missionary courage wherever they are. Thank God today you have been praying for those who are persecuted. You, you have me right here today. And pray that God will help us to do the work, even in the midst of persecution. Can we pray together? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the Queen Street Baptist Church. Thank you for the grace you've given them over the years. Thank you for opening their doors to us. 
to share about what is happening all over the world and to tell them about the persecuted church in these countries, particularly where I come from. Lord, as they listen to the story, we pray that you will touch their hearts to also be part of this. For even when they are not there, they can do it, oh God, through their prayers and through their support. Thank you for everything. And thank you for the pastor and every leader in this church. May your name be glorified. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you and God bless you.